Well, good morning. Let me pick this paper up. I missed. Uh, Hope you guys are doing well. This morning we are in Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 13 is what we're going to be looking at. Matthew 25, 1 through 13. Um, And as Nathan mentioned earlier, um, as Ryan prayed, uh, this is the beginning of the Advent season. Uh, this is the time where we begin to, to, to remember Jesus' first coming, as well as we are looking forward to Jesus' second coming. Um, and so Advent is simply Jesus, the Messiah, is breaking into, into the world. Um, and this is the season where we remember that, where we celebrate that, where we, where we look at scriptures from before Jesus' coming that point to his coming, the scriptures that, that celebrate his coming. And when we think about the scriptures that point to his second coming. And so with that in mind, this week, uh, you will get an Advent reader. I will send that out to you. And this is an opportunity for you to read through some of those scriptures, to look at the text and, and to see what, what God promised, that the Messiah would come and to see how that promise was fulfilled in Jesus's coming and for us to know that, that Jesus is a promise keep, I mean, that God is a promise keeping God and that Jesus will return just as he says that he will in the future. And so be on the lookout for that. It'll come through email. Um, if you need a physical copy, you don't do email or anything like that, just come up to the church and I'll be happy to give you a physical copy and you can read through that this Advent season, but you will be blessed uh, for doing so. This morning, we are continuing in our series through the parables of Jesus, and we are, we've made it over here to the parable of the ten virgins, and this is in Matthew chapter 25. So let me read that, I'm going to pray, and then we are going to dive into this message this morning. Beginning in verse 1 of chapter 25 in the book of Matthew, then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you for this day and this opportunity to gather together as your church, Lord. We thank you for just the time that we've had to celebrate with our families over the last uh, week, God. And and we do pray for those who are not able to be here today, um, who are still celebrating, who maybe are traveling today, God. Would you be with them? And today, Lord, as we walk through this text this morning, as we look at the parable of the ten virgins, Lord, would you help us to understand what, what your word is saying to us and how we might apply this to our lives and to the life of our church, Lord. And this we pray in Jesus' name, amen. 
Well, the subject of today's parable, as you, as you could guess, is uh, weddings. And, and if you know anything about weddings, you know they are all about the bride and the groom. I mean, think about it. You know, they're the ones who select the theme of the wedding. They're the ones who select the location. They're the ones who select the date and the time. They don't phone you and say, hey, when do you want to have the wedding? What, what, what colors do you want to have? What theme do you think we should do? Where is the most convenient place for you to have this wedding? That doesn't happen at all like that, does it? No, what happens? Well, you go out to your mailbox one day, you open it up, and there in there is this invitation. An invitation from the bride and groom, and they're inviting you to their wedding. And if it's one of your good friends, you know that you've got to set aside the time on your calendar, that you've got to make plans to travel to the location, you've got to get them a gift, and all the things that go along with with the wedding. You are expected to do that when the invitation comes. And on the day of the wedding, well, it really doesn't matter how things are going in your house that morning, right? It doesn't matter that that you woke up late, your alarm clock didn't go off. It doesn't matter that, you know, you, you misplaced your keys and you're having trouble finding them to get out the door to get to the wedding on time. It doesn't matter if your kids are running around crazy. You know, you've already picked out their clothing. They've, they've stained their clothes and now you've got to put them in another outfit and then you're yelling at them and you're thinking, oh, I can't believe that you did this. Like, it doesn't matter if any of that stuff is happening in your house that day, the bride and the groom expect for you to show up on time and be seated before the the bride walks down the aisle. And in the same way, Jesus expects us to be ready for his wedding. But Jesus does not go out, send an invitation to us and tell us on what day and time he is coming so that we can plan the perfect time to be ready for him. No, Jesus just says, you need to be ready all the time. And this is the idea that Jesus drives home this morning, that we are always to be ready for his wedding, that we're always to be ready for his return. And Jesus illustrates his point with this parable, the parable of the ten virgins. It's a parable that centers on a wedding, and, and the ten virgins, they are part of this wedding processional. Now, before we dive into the actual parable, let, let's talk about weddings in first century Palestine, and they're a little bit different than, than how weddings take place today, and, and there's, not, there's not a whole lot known about weddings in first century Palestine, but what we do know is that they are different from today's weddings. Weddings were typically preceded by this betrothal period that would last for for a year, and, and a betrothal period was, was kind of like an engagement, but it was much more serious than an engagement, right? If you didn't want to be engaged to this person any longer, you didn't want to marry them, you couldn't just give back the ring or, or take back the ring and, and say, okay, we're done, it's off, and, and go and find someone else, right? You actually had to get divorced from this person. Usually this period would last about a year, and during the betrothal period, the the groom, he would be readying the house for the bride. He would be preparing for the festivities that would take place during the wedding week. And and after all of the preparations were made, after the the house was made, after the party was, was, was ready, after the dowry price was negotiated, the betrothal period would end. And at that time, the, the bridegroom and, and his party would come, and they would make their way to the home of the bride or some other pre place that they had that they were going to meet and when the two groups came together the wedding would take place and after the ceremony there would usually be this processional back to the bridegroom's house back to the house that that he had been preparing for his bride for this entire year and there will be a party at this house and this was a party 
And it didn't last for just a couple of hours, and then they were off on their honeymoon somewhere, you know, all across the world. Uh, no, th- this party would last for seven days. Seven days they would gather together with friends and family. I mean, talk about a serious commitment on the ha- behalf of the guests, right? Like, you don't even just have to set aside a day. I mean, you, seven days you have to set aside to go to this wedding. And that's, that's a bit about what happens in ancient Palestine, and, and that helps us understand the parable, right? And so in verse 1, Jesus says this, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. And Jesus tells us that ten girls, they took their lamps and they went to meet the bridegroom. And it's not clear if these are bridesmaids because it's not really clear if they had bridesmaids back then. But, but you could think about these, these women playing a very similar role to bridesmaids. There were 10 women who went out to this designated spot to meet the bridegroom. And as they go, Jesus reveals this crucial characteristic about these women. Look at verse 2. He says, five of them were foolish and five were wise. And so we learned that half Half of them are foolish, half of them are wise. And what is it that made them foolish? What is it that made them wise? Well, we'll, let's keep reading here in the text. Verse 3, For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. And so the foolish women did not bring any extra oil for the lamps, but the wise, they did. They, they, They prepared ahead of time, in other words. Now, several years ago, some of our good friends, Marcos and Vanessa, they, uh, they got married and they, they, we met them here in Dallas. We're good friends with them even to this day. And they got married down in their hometown in McAllen. And so we all had to travel down there. We had to get a hotel room. And there were these two guys, uh, we're going to call them Bill and Ted. Um, and so Bill, he's, he's down there already with us and, and he gets there the first day. And Bill has this hotel room for the evening. And Ted is not going to be able to come the first day. He's going to come the second day. He's going to fly in. He had some work stuff going on. He's going to fly in on the second day. And so Bill gets the hotel room. He spends the night in the hotel room by himself. And he checks out. Bill and Ted are going to share a room the next night to to alleviate some of the cost. So he checks out the very next morning. He's lugging his suitcase around all day long. I mean, everywhere we go, he's got a suitcase, right? Like he's just got this here. It's, it's kind of a hassle because we're having to throw it in our car. Not everybody has a lot of room for it. But everywhere we go, he's lugging this suitcase around with him. And finally, Ted gets there. Ted's flight was a little bit delayed, so he doesn't get there till later in the afternoon. And you can imagine you're in the airport all day. Your flights have been delayed. You're frustrated. You were just ready to go to your room Put your stuff down, take a shower, and get ready for whatever's going to happen that evening. Well, when Ted shows up, he's like, Bill, where, where's our room, man? I'm, I'm ready for the shower. And Bill's like, what? I, I, I thought you got the room. I didn't get the room. I checked out of the room this morning because I thought that you had got a room for us for the evening. And they're both like, oh, I can't believe we did this. Like, they didn't communicate with one another. There's no room for them at all. Now, that wouldn't really be that big of an issue. I mean, it's, it's McAllen, Texas. Like, it's not really this hotbed of place that people want to go, except for this weekend, happened to be the weekend, that all these people decided they were going to come up from Mexico to go shopping. And so all the hotel rooms are pretty much full uh, that, that day. And so Marcos, he's the groom, he has to go around and find a place for them to stay so they didn't have to sleep out on the street 
that night. Now, I tell you that story to illustrate the fact that there's a difference between those who are foolish and those who are wise, right? These guys were foolish. They, they didn't plan ahead. They didn't communicate with one another. They just assumed and they acted in the moment. And that's the difference between those who are wise and those who aren't. The wise use the knowledge, they use their experience that they have, they apply it to the situation they're faced with, and they plan for the future. And while the foolish, they don't give any thought for the future. They don't give any thought to what might happen. They don't plan ahead. They just act in the moment. They just do whatever is right at that exact moment. And that's exactly what these five foolish girls did. They only live for the moment. There was no planning. They gave no thought to the fact that the bridegroom, well, he just might happen to be late. No thought to the fact of what might happen in the future. And as we'll see, they were not prepared at all. While the wise, on the other hand, they, they, they thought ahead. They brought some extra oil with them for the lamps just in case the bridegroom got held up for a little bit. And that was important because lamps back then, they only lasted for so long and you had to continually fill them back up with oil in order to get, get light from them. You know, it'd be like if you didn't come with a flask of oil, it'd be like leaving on a business trip for an entire week and you don't bring your phone charger, you don't bring your, your charger for your computer. Right? You're going to get a little bit of work done. You're going to make some phone calls for, for a little bit of time, but, but it's not going to last the entire week. By the end of the week, you're just going to have two really expensive paperweights. And here are these 10 girls. Half of them are prepared. Half of them are not. And look at what happens. Verse 5. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. Would you know it? Something happens, right? The, the bridegroom is delayed. Something held him up. We're not told what held him up. Maybe he's still negotiating the, the bride price, the dowry price. Maybe he's still getting things ready, just the final touches put on the house or, or something came up with the party and he had to take care of that before he was able to come. We're not really told what happens, but, but for whatever reason, he is held up and, and the 10 virgins ha, had already done what they needed. They were already prepared. It was getting late. They were getting a little bit tired and so they went to sleep. And after some time, while they were asleep, the bridegroom and his party are spotted, verse 6 to 7. But at midnight, there was a cry, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. And then all those virgins rose and they trimmed their lamps. And at that time, all the girls woke up, they, they, they trimmed their lamps. In other words, they relit everything, they got things going again. But what happened? Verse 8, and the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. The foolish girls, they couldn't keep their lamps lit, right? And since they couldn't keep their lamps lit, they didn't, they didn't have any oil to put in there. They turned to the wise girls who had wisely brought some oil with them, and they say, give me some of your oil. We need some of your oil so that our lamps will stay lit here. But what do the wise girls do? Verse 9 but the wise answered saying, since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And so the wise girls, they wouldn't give them any oil. Now you may look at that and you think, man, that's just that's really mean. Like why would they not give them oil? They brought extra oil. Why would they not give them any oil? Well, well they're wise and they're planning ahead. They knew what would happen if they gave them some of the oil. Neither of them, neither group would make it back to the bridegroom's house. Neither group would make it to the party because both of their lamps would have gone out. 
And so they say, look, you, you girls, you need to go to the shopkeepers and you need to buy some oil and then come to the party. And that's exactly what the foolish girls did. Now, keep in mind, it's like probably midnight at this time. It's super late. I mean, none of the shops are open. So they're gonna have to go knock on some people's doors, try to rouse these people out of bed and get some oil for their lamps and then come back to the party. And by the time the foolish girls returned, the party had started and they weren't allowed to enter in, verses 10 through 12. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But look what he says there. But he answered, truly I say to you, I do not know you. And so when the foolish girls finally got to the party, they were not able to, to come in. They were, they were standing outside. They were knocking on the door. They were wanting to gain entrance. But the bridegroom says to them, I do not know you. That seems a bit odd if you ask me. I mean, they were a part of the wedding. I mean, certainly, certainly the bridegroom would, would know them. I mean, certainly he would know his bride's friends and he would relate to them. He would know that these were the people that were just there a little bit ago. Certainly he would know them, but in a shocking reversal of events, the bridegroom rejects those who had once been invited to the wedding, even telling them that he never knew them. And these are those who are expecting to take center stage at the wedding, right? You know, you go to a wedding and you have the bride and the groom and all of their people, they sit up there at that table in front of everyone. These are people who are expecting to take center stage at the wedding and participate in all of the wedding festivities, but they were rejected. And they were rejected because they were not ready for the bridegroom when he came. And so what do we learn from this parable? Well, we learn from this parable that we must always be ready for Jesus' return because we can't enter the kingdom on our own terms and in our own time. It has to be on God's terms and it has to be in God's time. And so that leads us to ask, well, what are God's terms? And God's terms is our obedience. And we know this because the language Jesus uses mirrors the language that he uses in his Sermon on the Mount, which is recorded in Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Here's what what Jesus says then. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then he will declare to to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And so here, starting in verse 21, what, what do we see? Well, we see that Jesus tells everyone who says to him, Lord, Lord, he says they're not gonna enter into the kingdom of heaven. Only those who do the will of his father would enter. And then in verse 23, those knocking, those who didn't do the will of the father are told to depart from him because he never knew them. Which is the same thing he tells these five foolish girls in this parable. And through this connection, we learn that that God expects us to be obedient to his will, to live according to his will, to live according to his word. And those who do, those who do are his. And the ones who do not, they're the ones who will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. 
But here's the thing. In order for you to do the will of the Father, you have to be a child of God. Your heart has to be changed. You see, we are naturally selfish. We naturally reject God's will. And so, so I'm not just saying, well, you got to like muster up all of your strength. You got to muster up all of your power and you have to do the will of God that is found in his word. We don't do it in our strength. We don't do it in our power. We do it through a changed heart. We are changed from the inside out, not the outside in. And the only way that takes place is that the gospel has taken root in your heart. If you believe in Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior, if you have repented of your sins and you've turned to Jesus, that is the only way that that's going to take place. That's the only way that you're going to desire God's will, and that's the only way that you're going to live out God's will consistently throughout your life. See, I'm not just telling you this so that you would force yourself to, to live like a Christian. Christians don't force themselves. Those who have turned to Jesus, they live in this manner because God is constantly at work in their life and God has changed their heart so that they will follow him, so that they will desire his will and live according to his will. And that's God's terms. We're to be continually obedient to him and he makes a way for that to happen by changing our hearts. Now, what about God's time? What is God's time? We'll turn to verse 13. Look here with me. Look there, verse 13. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. And so what's God's time? What's God's time for us? God's time for us is now. It is always. We are always to be ready for him to return. I like what one commentator says. He says, it is the condition of life on earth that we cannot know how long it will last and is similarly a condition of life in the kingdom of God that we cannot know when that kingdom will be consummated here on earth. So we don't know when life is going to end for us. We could walk out of here and die. Or when Jesus could return at any point. We do not know. We have no idea when that is going to take place. And since we don't know when we're going to die, since we don't know when Jesus is going to return, Jesus says we must always be ready for his return. See, no one has promised another second. Any moment could be our last moment, which is why we must always be ready. We must always be ready to meet Jesus. We can't put our relationship on hold. We can't say, oh, I'll get to that, that religious stuff when I get older. Then I will change my life. Then things will be much different for me. Because listen, older may never come. Nor can we quit learning about God's word and his people and, and quit trying to live according to his way and his will saying, you know what? I've been to church my entire life. I've been doing that church thing for like 30, 40, 50 years. I'm done with church. I've had my fill of church and then walk away and go and live according to our own will and do life how we want, just banking on some of the time that we put in in the past. Now it is those who are consistently living according to his will now and in the future. Those are the ones who are ready for Jesus's return. See, we can't be half in. We can't be half committed. God wants all of us all the time. He wants us to be obedient all day every single day. We have to continually be ready. It's not a game that we can just show up too late. If we're not ready when Jesus returns, every moment of every day, we're going to find ourselves standing outside of the kingdom, standing there knocking, and Jesus is going to say to us, depart from me, for I never knew you. 
That's what he says to these five foolish virgins who were not ready when he returned. And that's what he will say to us. Truly I say to you, I do not know you. There's no room in the kingdom for these quasi-Christians, for those who are straddling the fence, those who are half committed. And I think that, that it's sad because that's, that's where the church is at today, right? There are people who are kind of half in and, and half out. There are people who, who think they can follow Jesus one day and then they go off to work the next day and, and you know, they're just kind of living life how they want. They're, they're putting all of these different business practices and worldly practices in, into play. And then when they go to church on Sunday, they're a completely different person, that's not what Jesus wants. That's not what Jesus desires. You remember what he says to those, that church in, in Laodicea who is lukewarm. He says, because you are lukewarm, you are neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. See, Jesus wants all of us all the time. Jesus does not want us playing church. He doesn't want us just kind of doing things our way. Jesus wants all of us all the time. A half commitment is really no commitment at all. We must be all in, and if we aren't, then we're not prepared for Jesus to come. And Jesus is telling us this parable here because he wants us to be prepared. He wants us to know that, that when he comes, we need to be following him. We need to have submitted our life to him as our Lord and our Savior. And so this morning, are, are you ready? Are you ready for Jesus's Returned. That's my challenge to you to, to examine your life, to make sure that you are prepared for Jesus's return. When he comes, if you are not prepared, it is going to be too late. You're going to be standing there. You're going to be wanting entrance into the kingdom. And he's going to say, I never knew you. See, today is the day of salvation. Right now is the day of salvation. And so are you prepared? Are you prepared for Jesus's return? If you could answer that question in the affirmative and you could say, yes, I am prepared. I know that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. I've been following Jesus. I can look at my life. I can see that I'm obedient to his will. I desire his will. Well, then praise God today. That's how you can respond this morning, by praising God. Because it is through his work in your life and it's through his continual work in your life that you are able to answer that question, yes. I am ready. And so praise God for the work that he has done and the work that he is doing in your life. And if you can't answer that question in the affirmative today, if you cannot say, yes, I know without a shadow of a doubt that I am ready. Well, today is a day, today is a time for you to get ready, for you to turn to Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior, to repent of your sins, to believe in him, to profess him and to begin to walk life anew with a changed heart with him as your Lord, with him as your Savior. And in a moment here, the, the praise team is going to come up. We're going to sing a last song of, of response. And, and this is an opportunity for you to respond. If you're a believer here today, if you would call yourself a Christian, you know for sure that that is you. Praise God during this time. Thank him for Jesus, particularly as we begin to celebrate the Advent season. Praise God. And if you don't know, now is an opportunity for you to know. Now is an opportunity for you to turn to Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you want to do that publicly this morning, I'll be standing down here. We'll praise the Lord for the work that He's doing in your life. We'll come alongside of you as a church and we'll help to 
help you grow in the faith. Or if you need some more time and you want to talk some more, I'll be at the back after service. Or if you want to gather together this week for coffee or lunch or whatever, I'll be happy to get together with you to talk more. But today is the day. Today is the day of salvation. And so let's go to the Lord in prayer and let's respond to this message. God, we thank you for this time that we've had this morning to walk through your text, to be challenged by your word, Lord, that, that we need to be ready, that we need to always be ready for your return because it can happen at any moment. And Lord, this morning I, I pray that, that if there's someone in here today that, that doesn't know you, that, that may not be able to say, yes, I know that I know that I know that I am ready for you to return, that you would work in their hearts, Lord, that you would draw them to yourself, that they would see their need for you and that they would turn to you this morning. And Lord, for us who have turned to you, Lord, who, who could say that, yes, we are believers in Christ, that we are Christians, Lord, but would, you, would you just draw our affections to you this morning so that we would praise you, so that we would, we would thank you, and that we would long to meet you and that you might work through us to touch other lives so that they would know you as well, so that they would come to know the certainty of what it means to be a believer in Christ and to be ready for your return. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.